Uh, it's from the uh, second letter to Corinthians, chapter 11, verses 16 to 31. And uh, this is the Apostle Paul writing. It's important to remember that when I read out the first line. I repeat, let no one take me for a fool. <clears throat> but if you do, then tolerate me just as you would a fool, so that I may do a little boasting. In this self-confident boasting, I am not talking as the Lord would, but as a fool. Since many are boasting in the way the world does, I too will boast. You gladly put up with fools since you are so wise. In fact, you even put up with anyone who enslaves you or exploits you or takes advantage of you or puts on airs or slaps you in the face. To my shame, I admit that we were too weak. Whatever anyone else dares to boast about, I am speaking as a fool, I also dare to boast about. Are they Hebrews? So am I. Are they Israelites? So am I. Are they Abraham's descendants? So am I. Are they servants of Christ? I'm out of my mind to talk like this. I am more. I have worked much harder, been in prison more frequently, been flogged more severely, and been exposed to death again and again. Five times I received from the Jews the 40 lashes minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was pelted with stones. Three times I was shipwrecked. I spent a night and a day in the open sea. I have been constantly on the move. I have been in danger from rivers, in danger from bandits, in danger from my fellow Jews, in danger from the Gentiles, in danger in the city, in danger in the country, in danger at sea, and in danger from false believers. I have laboured and toiled and have often gone without sleep. I have known hunger and thirst and have often gone without food. I have been cold and naked. Beside everything else, I face daily the pressure of my concern for all the churches. Who is weak? And I do not feel weak. Who is led into sin? And I do not burn. If I must boast, I will boast of the things that show my weakness. The God and Father of the Lord Jesus, who is to be praised forever, knows that I am not. This is the word of the Lord. Well, that's an impressive resume of St. Paul, which I'll get to a little bit later. Today, I'm actually reflecting on what the true gospel is. And as Christians, uh, we love our jargons, don't we? We love, we love a whole lot of phrases that uh, bamboozle people. Some people call this kind of Christianese, the phrases that we speak to one another. Um, for, for Tanya and Janice, we had a whole lot of uh, synodies last week at Synod, all these different phrases that if you don't have the rule book there, you don't understand what's going on. So Christians throw around words like uh, theology might be an easy one for us to understand, but even, even Christians have arguments of the difference between justification and sanctification. Probably not many of us know what eschatology is, um, probably even less of us know what pneumatology is. Uh, there's a prize afterwards if you do know, and Lisa, no, you can't answer those questions. Uh, ecclesiology and all of these other jargons that we use as Christians, and sometimes even if, particularly if you go to theological college, you're encouraged to educate your congregations by going out and using these words and teaching them what they mean, only to kind of make you sound, yourself sound more aloof and elitist. And so we, in recent times, have looked at how do we simplify the message of Jesus in order to help more people understand the core fabric of what it means to be a Christian. And even, I'm not sure how you grew up, but even the, the narrowing of the message to just focus on Jesus rather than kind of complexify it with the whole Trinity has been a recent thing. 
And I think it's good for us to, to simplify the message in order for more people to understand it. But sometimes when we just focus in on Jesus, again, we kind of lose an understanding of the Trinity. And, and I'm all for educating people about the Trinity, even though it is a complex term. And so we love our Christian jargon. And in recent times, we've coined a new phrase that people talk about, and it's, it, and it's as old as the church, but it's, it's become a jargon that we've, we've cut out all of these, but we've got this new jargon phrase, and it's the gospel. We talk about the gospel, and people say, we are a true gospel church, as though there are churches that are not true gospel churches. Or you hear people say, well, at our church, we preach the gospel in our church. What does that even mean? And some people who are maybe more social justice orientated say, we do the work of the gospel in our church. What do these phrases mean? Well, there's a lot of uh, thought about what the gospel is, but to shorten it, the gospel is the life, death and resurrection of Jesus. It's important that we don't just focus on the cross. N.T. Wright says so many evangelical Christians skip everything of Jesus as though nothing in the Gospels happened until Jesus starts hanging on the cross and really kind of when he's taken down on Good Friday, nothing much happens after that. Really, Good Friday is the only part of the Gospel. And what happens when you just focus on Good Friday is you lose all of the announcement of the kingdom of God that's so important to Jesus. In Jesus's ministry, he's able to preach the gospel before he's even gone to the cross. So therefore, the whole announcement that the kingdom of God is at hand must be important. And likewise, if we just finish at the cross, then we don't understand the resurrection and we don't preach the resurrection, then the cross is meaningless. Paul himself talks about if we don't have the resurrection, the cross is meaningless. So in many ways, we've kind of taken this complex idea of all of the teaching of Jesus, all the atonement theology, the Christus Victor theology of the cross, and then all the understanding of what the resurrection holds, and we boil it down to this phrase called the gospel, and we all think we know what that means, and so we talk about it to other people, and they're just as bamboozled as if we use these terms like sanctification, eschatology, and pneumatology. And so Paul is getting to this understanding in Corinth as well. Because while we might think this phrase, the gospel, is confusing to people in our day, Paul is also writing to the Corinthians in this part of the, the letter to, to remind them what the true gospel is. He's writing to them and saying, that Jesus that some of these super apostles have been teaching you is not the accurate picture of Jesus. This understanding about the kingdom of God that they've been talking to you about is not an accurate picture of the kingdom of God. And this thing that they're saying to you, which is the gospel, is not an accurate presentation of the gospel. Now, remember, in the original languages, and I know most of us don't speak the original languages, I don't either, in the original language, the gospel was a phrase just to mean an announcement of good news. So they were, there were these super apostles who were coming along and they were preaching a message and they were preaching a message in a way that helped them to attract more followers, that helped them to attract more funding because they were people who were preaching for fee. Their fee was dependent on the fact that they were 
preaching the message, gaining followers, and therefore if you could preach a message that was a little bit more palatable or a little bit more engaging to the culture, you might get a few more followers and therefore you would actually have a greater fee for service. And so Paul writes to them and says, if anyone comes to you and preaches a Jesus other than the Jesus that he preached, or you receive a different spirit other than the spirit that you received when Paul came, or they preach a different gospel to the one that you accepted when Paul preached it, then what you're seeing and hearing is a false presentation of the gospel. It's not a true representation of who Jesus is. And so Paul, last week I was talking about the comparison trap, and Paul was actually uh, being compared to these super apostles, And this part of the letter, it goes on and talks a little bit about the super apostles. And these super apostles are actually preaching a message that was more aligned to the Corinthian culture than it was to who Jesus really was. Remember, the Corinthian culture, wealth and status are really important in Corinthian culture. Remember, Jesus came to a a group of Jewish people in Jerusalem and in Judea that were oppressed by the Romans. They were oppressed by the Romans and seeking to be freed from that. So the kingdom of God announcement by Jesus was really attractive and Jewish people converted because it was a great message for them. These super apostles don't preach that gospel. They come in and preach about how wealth and status is okay in the kingdom of God. And so what they do is they have this thing that I'm calling the gospel plus or the gospel minus. So what they do is all those things that are difficult in the gospel, they take those out in their preaching. So this message that everybody is equal in the kingdom of God, that's too hard to these people who want to associate with the elites. So so these super apostles take out that call to everyone to be like in community. They take that out. And remember last week I shared in uh, 1 Corinthians 11 how because of the teaching of the super apostles, uh, some people were coming to the Lord's Supper and having their own meal to the side because they didn't think they had to associate with other people. Or these super apostles come and add things into the gospel. They add things into it to make it more palatable. They tell the Corinthians some things that really weren't in the teaching of Jesus, weren't in the teaching that Paul had shared with them, but they added in to make it more palatable. And so they come along and preach a false gospel, preach another gospel, talk about another Jesus, and they say that the way that you're behaving is okay with the gospel. The way that you're functioning as a community is okay. And in 1 Corinthians, Paul says to them, no, it's not okay. And in 2 Corinthians here, Paul is writing again to say, no, if you're going to follow anything in the gospel, it has to be the true gospel, not this false gospel. And so, Uh, as Peter alluded to when he introduced the reading, in this part of the passage, it's quite weird in that Paul says, I'm going to act like a fool. And it's like, what does he mean by I'm going to act like a fool? He's saying, well, all of these super apostles are are bragging about how good they are. They're not putting the, 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 the weight of their ministry on the truth of the gospel. They're talking about themselves and how good they are. They're showing how eloquent they are as public speakers. And they're trying to say, well, I'm really a great super apostle, therefore, whatever I add into it is okay because of my resume. And Paul says, well, if it's going to be a foolish bragging competition, 
then Paul is just for a moment going to be a fool and weigh into the foolish bragging competition. Paul is going to show off his resume. He's going to say, well, are they Hebrews? Well, I'm a Hebrew too. Are they an Israelite? Well, I'm a better Israelite than them. Did they study the law? I studied the law better than they did. Did did they learn under particular uh, uh, leaders in Jerusalem? Well, I studied under better ones. Are they of a descendant of Abraham? So am I. Are they a servant of Christ? Well, I'm a more servant of Christ. I planted more churches than any of them. And then he lists all of the ways in which he's been persecuted and had a lack of sleep, a lack of place to live, a lack of resources because he's preached the gospel. So if they want to get into a foolish thing about bragging about how, they good, how good they are as an apostle, Paul can beat them on almost everything except, as we learnt last week, public speaking, because people said he was boring or unimpressive, as he used in his own language. So, Paul is saying in this passage, if you want to brag, get into a foolish debate about resume. His resume is better than all these people who are trying to brag about their own resume. But Paul says he doesn't want to talk about his resume. He does, but he actually is trying to say to them, it's not about his resume, it's about the truth of the gospel of Jesus. It's actually important for Paul to not think about his own credential, but to think about the teaching of Jesus. When he focuses on the teaching of Jesus, the, the, the life, death and the resurrection that we shorten down to this phrase, the gospel, when he focuses on the truth of that, it has more power than anything he can come up with himself. Anything that he understood from his learnings as a disciple in Jerusalem of the best teachers of the law, any of that is weak compared to the teaching of Jesus. So, he's not going to focus on that, he's going to focus on the strength that he gets through Jesus. Again, some of these super apostles are actually talking about how good they are and Paul is saying, not how good he is, but look how good Jesus is. Because Paul was persecuting the Christians and he was desperately in need of grace. And look at all of the ways in which grace has worked in his life. Paul is saying, don't look at my strengths, don't look at my resume, look at my weakness because then you'll see the power of the gospel. You'll see the power of the gospel that turns somebody who was actively seeking out to kill people who didn't believe in the things that he believed to somebody who goes right around the world, that was the the, the world as they knew it, preaching the good news of Jesus and people were coming to faith because of the knowledge of Jesus not because of how good Paul was as a preacher and a teacher. And so, we get to this idea of the gospel plus and minus, because Paul wants to not take away anything from the power of the gospel, and he doesn't want to add anything to the gospel that would distract from the power of the message. And that's a a challenge for our church today. It's not just a challenge, really, for our church today. If you went back 10 years, this was a challenge. If you went back 20 years, this was a challenge. If you went back 30 years, 40 years, and so on, it was a challenge. I mean, half of the, the, the fights in the Reformation were fought over things that had been added or taken away from the gospel. The church has always needed to refine itself to look at what have we put into Christianity that was cultural? What have we put into Christianity that was preference? What have we put into Christianity that is style? and not the substance of the gospel. Even there's been arguments as to whether you can have guitars in church, and whether guitars or organs were true to the presentation of the gospel. And yet it's all superfluous, it's all preference. 
And so what happened is when you have a church that is gospel plus or gospel minus, you get this type of culture that develops like on the screen that says in order to understand who we are, you have to behave like us. And if you learn to behave like us, then we're going to put tests on you to make sure that you believe what we believe. And so if you behave like us and you believe exactly what, you be- what we believe, then we're going to let you in and you can belong to who we are. So if you behave like we behave and believe what we believe, then we're going to let you into our community. And that's why churches have used the gospel or whatever they are trying to say the gospel is to rule people in and to rule people out. So even a church that says we preach the gospel, that's actually making a statement of other churches don't preach the gospel. Rather, if you wanted to say what you're about, you could just say, we teach the life, death and resurrection of Jesus. And so the challenge for us is to be a kingdom of God focused church. Because when you start to think about the kingdom of God, Jesus preached a message where, where people were made aware of the fact that they were part of this kingdom that Jesus had come to announce. Jesus preached a message that enabled people to understand that they were a beloved child of God. So in many ways, the message of the kingdom of God that Jesus came to preach didn't end with belonging, it started with belonging, that you belong to the family of God. And so when you have a kingdom-orientated church, not a gospel plus or minus church, you have a group of people who say your belonging here is important to us because you're part of the family of God. And then when you start to be part of our community and start to explore what we're teaching about the life, death and resurrection of Jesus, you start to believe the teaching of Jesus. And when you start to believe the teaching of Jesus, then you learn to start behaving like Jesus and becoming more like Jesus. In many ways, a kingdom-focused church is the opposite order of a gospel plus or minus church. And I think that's what people in our society are looking for. I think people in our society are looking for community. And they're looking for community in a way that's not saying, here's the behavioural benchmark in order for you to enter into our community. They're wanting open acceptance. And that's challenging for us, I get it. I'm not saying this is easy. And I'm not saying that in order for us to allow people to belong here, that we chuck out everything that we believe to be true in the teaching of Jesus. This is really, really challenging because the reality of what this looks like, as opposed to the kingdom plus or minus church, is that there could be people who walk into this church and they actually don't behave in a way that we would want them to behave for three or four years because they're still learning what it means to be uh, involved in community. And, and Nikki and I were talking recently about some people... Um, just, just imagine how challenging it would be for people in the sex industry to walk into a church. It might take them years before they could transition their employment to get out of the sex industry. And is the church going to journey with them in that period of time? That's a challenging thing. I'm not saying that's easy. That's hard. I get it. But the challenge before us is the message of Jesus. And Paul is saying, if we come back to the gospel, the true gospel, the true Jesus, then we get a message of grace. And therefore, we extend grace to people. So instead of saying, well, to be Christian, it means that you have to be white, middle class and heterosexual. We start to get the message of Jesus that you belong to the family of God. And when you belong to the family of God, you start to explore the life, death and resurrection of Jesus and you start to believe it to be true. And then when you start to believe it to be true, you actually start to have a desire, an internal desire 
to behave like Jesus rather than an exterior rules-based behavior and morality. And so Jesus preached that the kingdom of God was at hand. And when Jesus preached the kingdom of God was at hand, he preached a gospel that welcomed sinners and he was critiqued for eating with sinners. Now, I'm not sure about you and, and, and how you feel, but but I'm glad this is the type of gospel that's the true gospel because I'm not as much like Jesus as I desire to. I don't behave as much like Jesus as I would want to be, even as I intellectually know I should be. And so I'm glad there's grace. Grace is extended to me. So wouldn't it be obvious that we extend grace to others as well? If Jesus extends grace to, to how far Paul had come and how far I've come and yet how much further I've got to go, wouldn't I just be happy that people are on that journey? And so Jesus preached a gospel that welcomed the sinner. Jesus preached a gospel that drew in the outcast. And so from, from the way that I see it, and I think the way that Paul is encouraging the church in Corinth, is that we need to be a church in this season ahead where we offer an experience of community that's drawing people in, that's welcoming, that's extending grace to them. Because when we extend that grace to them and they feel that they can be a part of our community, then they start to experience the presence of God. And I think people are longing for an experience of God. And there's so much information that we have to teach people. There's so much, all of those things are important. We need to teach them about salvation, about justification. But they are on a journey to understand all of that just like I'm on a journey to understand all that. And as people encounter the presence of God, then I think it will eventually lead people to have an internal desire to start being more and more like Christ. And so people's behaviour will be more and more like Christ. So that's the challenge for us, the church, in the season of head, not to be a gospel plus or minus church, but to be a church focused on the kingdom of God. So let me pray for us. Gracious God, we thank you for your son, Jesus. We thank you that it's the life, death and resurrection of Jesus that is our source of hope. And Lord, we pray that if there's anything cultural, anything not of substance, that we would let that fall to the wayside and that we would be drawn into preaching the kingdom of God here on earth as it is in heaven. And we make this prayer in Jesus' mighty name. Amen.